Before this episode starts, I just wanted to take a quick moment to chat to you all. Today marks 365 days since the beginning of this massive roller coaster. It's absolutely changed my life and I can't thank you all at home enough. Without you listening, this wouldn't be what it is and I would still be a drama school dropout with no confidence. I just also want to quickly say thank you to all my family and friends for all of the support, all of my guests that I've had on this year, um, the agents, managers and publicists that have hooked me up with all of my amazing guests, and obviously a big shout out to my co-producer Heather Spiden for being there. Just, you know, every step of the way, she's really been a massive rock for me this year and I, I can't imagine life, how, how this year would have panned out without Heather by my side, so a big thank you to Heather. Um... We've been named the third best drama podcast in Britain, seventh best drama podcast in the world. We've charted all over the world, even in mad places like Albania and Romania. And it's been absolutely mental. And I I couldn't have thought this would happen when we first began 12 months ago to the day. It's absolutely mental. But you all know that this podcast, and especially the name, started at and stemmed from one of the lowest points in my life. You all know the story and that's why I've partnered up with Student Minds to bring you this episode. Student Minds is the UK's student mental health charity. Today, as many as 40% of students may now meet the criteria for a probable mental health problem. Student Minds aim to create a future where every student is able to thrive at university or in higher education by focusing on prevention and ensuring that information and support is available for those who need it. They do this by empowering students and members of the university or higher education community to develop the knowledge, confidence and skills to look after their own mental health, support others and create long-term change. They also undertake research on student mental health and share the best practices to ensure that decisions about mental health are made based on evidence and student experience. 2021 has been a tough year, but 2022 doesn't have to be the same. Student Minds are asking for donations to help ensure that every student's mental health is made a priority. Anything you are able to give would be greatly appreciated. Please visit the link in the show notes below to make a donation today. Hello and welcome to an extra special episode of Drama School Dropout and today we are celebrating our one year anniversary. 365 days of drama school dropout what the fuck who would have thought that this is what would have happened all those months ago back in december 2020 while i was still working for a company that may or may not rhyme with glamazon who would have bloody thought it eh Oh, thank you so much to everybody that's continuing to listen in. It genuinely, you are the light in the dark of this pandemic. You have changed my life completely and I cannot thank you enough. But I will love you some more if you pop over onto my Instagram at Ingram Noble and like the new little pic that Heather Spiden took of me to celebrate. Um, there's, there's a few funny stories about that and we'll probably talk about it. Uh, when heather comes back at the end of the month for this is where we update you 
But as per usual, it's episode 56, and my name is Ingram Noble, and I am your resident drama school dropout. And today we are celebrating in style. I'm joined by one of the stars of the biggest movie musical of all time, my absolute favourite pink lady. Please welcome to the podcast, the iconic Dinah Manoff. Drama school dropout. No graduation day for you, drama school dropout. Fucked your whole course, now try something new, drama school dropout. Hello. Hello. Wow, what a great introduction. Oh, I am. I'm such a fan of yours. I am, as you know, every secondary school or high school in the world has done Greece and I played Vince Fontaine and one of my great friends Kate Garnett played Marty and you know it's always just been like that that character is someone that I've always been drawn to and Marty was always my favorite pink lady and still is oh well thank you you know Marty I based um her character on what I thought her impression of Marilyn Monroe would be so that's where she originated from from uh, that funny little idea of, you know, how she thought a sex symbol would act. So <laughs> I, I also do have to say, my mom is the only person who I tell who's coming on the podcast. And my mom did ask me to tell you, and I've never done this before because it's highly unprofessional. Grease was the first ever film that my mom went to see in the cinema. And she has always loved Grease. So she just asked me to give her a little mention. What's your mom's name? Liza, like Liza Minnelli. Thank you, Liza. Grease is the word, stay pink. <laughs> she will be so over the moon with that. Thank you so much. <laughs> but what I like to ask everyone that comes on the podcast is how did you get into acting and what was your first ever role? And it doesn't have to be a professional one. We love a, a school show story. Well, um, I got into acting because I basically was not qualified to do anything else. <laughs> um, I love the name of your podcast. Past, um, I feel like I was kind of a drama school dropout myself. I was never really a good class person. Yeah. But uh, uh, because my mother was an actress, I had been brought up in show business and I had been cueing her on scripts from the time I could read. So I kind of had an, you know, a, an innate talent for, for performing. Yeah. And uh, it was in my blood and it was in my experience. And so when I uh, left high school, barely graduating, um, I started auditioning and, and I was lucky. Uh, my very first job was on a television show called Welcome Back, Cotter. And I worked with John Travolta, who was uh, becoming a huge star at the time. <laughs> And um, I was the most nervous person on the set in the whole world. And uh, that's how I started out. Was the, do you remember like a defining moment where you could be like, oh, no, actually, this could be my career. Like, uh, there's actually some longevity in this. Boy, <laughs> that didn't really hit me till my 30s. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I always felt like I was going to be um, found out as a fraud, you know, because... <laughs> You know, my mother had been such a serious actress. My mother is the actress Lee Grant, and she had been so respected, and she studied with Lee Strasberg, and, you know, she won Oscars and Emmys, and, and I came along as a teenager, you know, kind of a wild child off the beach, 
And, um, you know, just felt every time I got a role, I was like, phew, you know, well, gee, you know, this will pay the rent or, yeah. you know, I can't believe I got hired. And, and over time, you know, over time, I really learned my craft and I learned to, to take it seriously and to have fun. Um, even on Greece, I was a nervous wreck, you know, because I was surrounded by such amazing talent. And, you know, most of the cast had done musicals and, on Broadway. And, you know, I was, it was my first movie. So I was, you know, it was such a newbie. Yeah. And um, so when I, when I was sort of doing my research and things, or, or as I like to call it, legal stalking, um, <laughs> I, I came across, I don't know how true it was because it was only a sentence and a half. Did you study at um, the actor's studio? I was actually, at the time, I don't know what the statistics are now, but I, actually I was the youngest member to be admitted to the actor's studio. I auditioned for them when I was, uh, must have been like 19 or so. Um, I was admitted as an observer when I was 17, and then I was made a member in my 20s. <laughs> so you've yeah. just been an icon your entire life, setting trends. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think only to you, but... <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and sometimes in my own mind, but uh, I don't feel very iconic. But um, but uh, I certainly had the luxury of growing up and, and uh, being around some really amazing talent in my lifetime. We've all been in these drama classrooms. I'm back at university now studying acting again, and some pretty weird stuff goes down in these rooms. Do you have a, a favorite drama school crazy story? They're my favorite <laughs> things in the world. That's great. Well, I didn't go to drama school, but <clears throat> I yeah. did. Um, I did go to classes, and I went to class with an amazing teacher named Peggy Fury, who at the time was teaching um, Sean Penn and Jeff Goldblum, and Michelle Pfeiffer came into class. And I'll tell you my funniest story. Um, Peggy uh, had a great sense of humor, and so she decided to pair me with Tina Turner for a scene. Lo Tina wow. Turner had just yeah had just broken up with Ike Turner and Peggy thought it would be interesting if she paired me with Tina and we did the scene from I Am A Camera, which is what Cabaret was based on. And she <laughs> she had Tina playing, she had Tina playing the Marissa Berenson role, which was the very shy kind of <laughs> aristocratic role and me playing Sally Bowles. And needless to say, it was a disaster. <laughs> But it sure was fun rehearsing with Tina Turner and her Doberman. <laughs> you know, I've had some pretty like wild stories when I've asked that question before, but I'm just going to say that is now the mark that everyone has to hit being in a scene with <laughs> Tina Turner. While, while you were sort of in that moment of your life, while you were training and all that sort of thing, what was the biggest lesson that you learned? You know, my lessons came later. I have to say that in those days, I was really, I was really so half serious. I was just kind of, you know, I was more interested in, you know, giving back rubs and getting back rubs in class than I really was about being a serious acting student. Um, I think I learned by osmosis, but later in my 30s, I really started to learn to have fun. And now for many years, I've been an acting teacher. And the first thing I do is start um, on a playful note with all my students. I also teach acting at a women's prison, which is a really cool thing to do. Yeah. And the laughter that comes out of our acting class through improv and acting has, has uh, 
caused the guards to come running to see if everyone was okay. So that's my lesson is that it, it has to stay playful and not to, um, not to suffocate the childlike instincts that we all come in with, you know? Yeah. And I think for a long time, I did away with those instincts, trying to be something that I wasn't. And then later, later I really discovered that I could, you know, rely more on my playful nature. I think I'm still learning that it has to be fun. I don't know. I didn't plan to bring this up. We were doing um, Shakespeare today in uni and we were just going through some sonnets and, and things like that. And I, I consider myself pretty well versed in Shakespeare. I've studied it for a number of years and understand the technicalities of um, the iambic pentameter and all that sort of jazz. And it's the first time that I'd ever been told today, like, throw all of that out the window. Do not worry about whether you have to take a V out for it to fit the iams. And it really, it threw me for a minute. And because I enjoy that. I enjoy breaking down a Shakespeare monologue and finding the elisions and using scansion and things. But then I thought about all of the times that I've performed Shakespeare like that, and it has been the most stressful experience of my life. Yeah. Well, when I have directed actors who bring Shakespeare into a scene, I only have them focus on what their objective is, what their yeah. intentions are. The language is so secondary because without, you know, when you see great Shakespeare, and I've seen Derek Jacobi do Shakespeare, and Kevin Klein is a brilliant uh, Shakespearean actor, and they make Shakespeare so accessible because it's all about their motives and their intentions. Mm. And for myself, my big weakness is that I didn't study Shakespeare and I didn't study the classics. And so I don't even have the, um, the chops under me to be able to let go and to explore the objectives, but you do. And that's so marvelous because now that you have all that learning and that understanding, you can let it all go and know that you have it in your back pocket. It's, it's marvelous that you've done that. Yeah, that's, that's what my lecturer said today. He was like, you understand it. And if you ever need, if you ever get stuck, you've got a tool there that will help you, but just forget about it because you're taking the fun out of it and you're really turning it into an academic process instead of an artistic one. And it was, it was one that really sort of like, it threw me completely. And I, I, I was sitting thinking like, well, you're telling me that I'm sucking all the fun out of it, but doing all of this work is the fun part and breaking down and but I, I really, I do get what he means because he said to us, like, the only important thing about Shakespeare is that you understand what you're saying and that you can make the audience understand what you're saying. If you can do that, you're golden. Right, right. So with your acting classes and things, is that something that you offer on quite a wide basis or is it a very invitation only? Am I going to have to ask um, for some money for Christmas for some acting lessons? <laughs> You and I can work out a side deal for coaching. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, my, my life is, my life, I, I'm not in show business anymore. I live on a little island near Seattle, Washington. And um, when I teach, I teach locally. Sometimes I teach in Seattle. Um, I coach um, some, you know, working actors on Zoom. And I teach at the prison. I haven't been able to since COVID, but I, I was for, uh, for quite a while. But uh, I don't, you know, I don't tour around and do mm. workshops, although, you know, you never know. Well, we are coming, um, uh, this isn't a workshop, but um, uh, the cast of Greece 
uh, some of the pink ladies and the T-Birds, um, Dee Dee Khan and Jamie Donnelly and I and Barry Pearl and Michael Tucci. And I can't remember who else is coming, but we're coming into Liverpool in May. I think it's the end of May for, um, I don't know if, if you guys have it as Comic-Con or Chiller. Or We've one got of like conventions. like Yeah, yeah. One of those big conventions, and they're bringing us into uh, to meet and greet and sign autographs, and and then we're supposed to be at some point in the summer, I think, in Edinburgh. So okay, really right. Awesome. I need all of the details. So you and because, I have a date. Yeah, I, genuinely, I would be so honored and so privileged. Like, I do you do you drink vodka? Uh, no, I'm actually sober. All right, okay. Because I was going to say I know where to get good vodka for cheap. Well, I'd like to watch you drink vodka, and then we could have a merry, merry time together. Yes, I, I am so down. I would I genuinely, I would love that. Um, great segue because I want to talk about Greece now. What was that audition process like? Because it was a very well-known musical, and yeah. I, I imagine Hollywood was a buzz that we were now making a movie musical out of Greece. Yeah, well, it was a buzz, all right, because uh, John Travolta and Olivia had already yeah. been uh, Olivia and John had already been cast when I auditioned, so everybody knew it was a big, big deal. And um, uh, I originally auditioned for the part of Frenchie for D.B. Khan's role. And um, and then Joel Thurm, the casting agent, said, you know, I see more as a Marty. So I went back out and um, came back uh, that afternoon with a very hot red shade of lipstick and um, and a new outfit that was, you know, with my my uh, figure uh, <laughs> in full display yeah. and a little little wiggle. And um, and I did what I thought would be Marty's best imitation of Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. And that's how I auditioned. And then they were like, yeah, yeah, that's really good. But can you dance? Well, I'm not a great dancer, but I can Same. shake my hips. So <laughs> I can't even so shake my hips. So, <laughs> well, they had us do a dance uh, audition and there was like, you know, tons of us and they gave us steps. And all I kept doing, I, I know you can't, um, your audience can't see me, but all I kept doing was just like my shoulders and my hips and trying to keep up with the steps. And they thought it was hysterical. And basically that's how I got the role. Oh, genuine. I can't imagine everyone's so perfectly cast. And like, I absolutely, I adore the film. And it's it's one of my it's one of my it's one of my favorite films of all time. And I'm not a film person. I'm much more theater and television. I love a television program over a film any day. But is do you have a favorite behind the scenes story that's something that we might not know from Greece? Oh gosh, let's see. Well, I can tell you that <clears throat> uh, there weren't as many people hooking up as you would think there would be on a film like that with all those dancers and extras. <clears throat> but I will tell you that Jeff Conaway, God bless him, who played Kanicki, was getting all the action. I'll just tell you. <laughs> um, another question that I always like to ask everyone that comes on the podcast is, um, and I know Dee Dee Khan gifted her original Pink Ladies jacket to um, Carly Rae Jepsen when they'd done the, the live musical version a couple of years ago. Did, um, um, did anything from set make it home with you? Not, you know, I'm an idiot. Dee Dee is the smartest person. She saved everything. I mean, she saved every 
thing. And Barry too has scripts and stuff. I'm like, ah, that's over, you know, put it away, move on. I have nothing from the original. <laughs> I wish I did. I wish I did. I didn't, oh my gosh, my battery's going low. Hold on one second. I have to plug in okay, one okay. second. We can keep talking while I plug in. <laughs> um, so it was really weird. The coincidence that happened with, um, with you agreeing to come on the podcast, the night that I got your email, because obviously we're like, it's currently like nearly 10 p.m. here. It's yeah. 20 past nine at night here and it's one o'clock or something in Seattle. Mm-hmm. I um, I had watched a Grease documentary that night. <laughs> Just out of the blue, hadn't really thought like oh, I had invited you on or anything. It was just, it was one of those things, you know, you just find and you're like, oh, I've never seen it. I'm going to watch this. And the premiere, the one that was... um on Hollywood Boulevard looked absolutely mental. What was that like for you that night? Gosh. <laughs> well, um, I would say I probably had a pretty good buzz on, I can tell you that um, <laughs> in those days. There was a lot of limos and a lot of champagne in those days. And um, um, gosh, it was quite a party. And, and honestly, I remember very little of it. And that's uh, probably why I'm floating today. <laughs> Again, iconic. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it, was quite a, uh, it was quite an event. We did, you know, tons of promotion all over the country for that movie. I mean, they sent us on the wildest tour and uh, culminating in New York at Studio 54, which I also have very little memory of. But I do know we a had a really fun yeah, we had quite a time. Um, obviously, it's it's such a, a global phenomenon and everything like that. How many invitations a year do you get from local from high schools across the world saying, "Will you come and see our performance of Greece?" Oh my gosh, you have no idea. I mean, you know, I live on this in this wonderful little community of about twenty thousand people, and my kids, you know, have gone to high school here and elementary school here, and you know, I cannot tell you how many parents have called me and said, oh, my son or my daughter's doing Greece, can you come? And I've said, you know, I have a rule. If my children aren't in the play, I just don't show up. Yeah. <laughs> so I have yet to go to anybody else's performance <laughs> of Greece, but I will tell you that every Halloween, I get a little gaggle of pink ladies outside my door, trick or treating. <laughs> and that for me is just a blast. All of the little Martys and Frenchies and uh, Rizzos. I, I I do have to ask you though. I know that Andy Cohen asked um, Stockard Channing, who played Rizzo on um, Watch What Happens Live, "Have you seen Grease 2? Have I seen it? Yeah, because I know Stockard said she hasn't. You're really setting me up, aren't you? <laughs> you have a little twinkle going on now, like I'm gonna like really give you the thing. I did actually see Grease 2. Makes um, one of us. And yes, I I did see it um i i was you know very very sad for the movie that it did not you know do what it set out to do yeah. um, but you know michelle pfeiffer was great and uh, uh beautiful i'll stop trying to get um all of the deep dark secrets out of you now one of my favorite questions to ask everyone is if you were i, I know you're not involved in show business or anything anymore but if you were booked in the West End or Broadway, you can pick to do a one month run in a two person show. And the casting director came up mm. and said to you, listen, we've got as much money as we need. Money is not an object. 
who do you want to be your co-star? Oh, that's anyone such in a the good world. Question. Anybody? Anyone in the world oh alive? God. Oh, any alive person to be my co-star? Oh gosh, oh, there's so many. I I mean, boy, I you know Daniel Craig comes to mind. Um, oh, that cute actor from Peaky Blinders. What's his name that I love so much? The, I've never the seen star Peaky Blinders. Oh please, what's his name? Oh, it's gone out of my head. I love him. Um, John Travolta. I'd go back in the, in a hot minute to be. Uh, you know, there's so many. I don't know. Grease you know. three. <laughs> what was it like being basically fresh off of the Grease set, making your Broadway debut, and then winning a Tony Award? That must have been a crazy, like, what the fuck couple of years. Yeah, it, it was actually, thank you for saying that, because it was a what the fuck. I mean, I really did feel swept up in something that I wasn't even sure I was the one creating it. You know, it was a, a matter of incredible timing, a great role. But the role of Libby Tucker and I Ought to Be in Pictures was a great role for me at the time. It couldn't have been a better fit for me. Um, I'd been raised on Neil Simon material from the time I could speak because my mother had done so much yeah. Neil Simon. I was, you know, a young up and comer and and I got tremendous attention at the time. It was uh it was a whirlwind, you know, it, it really was. And you know it, it, the novel that I've written, which I want to talk about with you a little bit, the real true Hollywood story of Jackie Gold. And this is um I know you love the cover. Too. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The, the woman Oscar smoking a cigarette. So cool. Anyway, <clears throat> you know, the novel is not autobiographical, but it certainly draws from a lot of my experiences and a lot of the feelings I had um, during those really successful years. And, and uh, the protagonist in the novel, Jackie, you know, wrestles a lot with, you know, with the level of fame that she has and whether or not she deserves it. Mm -hmm. And I wrestled a lot in those years, you know, feeling very undeserving of the kind of attention I was getting um, because I, I, I just felt like I was uh, lucky, you know, I mean, I, I knew I had talent, but I also just felt very lucky. I think in a sense, all actors are very lucky that because I, I think of a lot of talented actors that I know that like that I went to college with that have now left the industry because they just were sick of not getting their break. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think it, it's luck, but it's also a true testament to somebody's character that they do make it. Because I think, especially like even from a level that I'm at where I have done virtually, virtually no theater because I graduated and then we went into lockdown and I've done no films or anything. So I'm at a very beginner level. And I know how much I've already had to sacrifice to do the things that I've done. Like I've wrote and I'm directing my own play that I wrote with one of my best friends. And I already know the stuff that I've had to sort of do to make that happen. So I can't even begin to imagine then amplifying that sacrifice and that determination by thousands. And I think it must just come down to a case of you have to roll with it. If it happens, mm -hmm. you have... 
did you like was there ever a point where you were sort of like why <laughs> why did I go to that Greece audition like it's all just a bit too much no there was no I, I never felt you know any ambivalence about about doing it I just felt fear about not being able to do it well that mm -hmm. but I but I always felt like so lucky to be chosen so lucky and the rejection you know I have cried over every <laughs> bad audition and rejection. Oh, yeah. I have no Teflon on my skin. You know what I mean? I mean, you reject me, my feelings get hurt. Yeah. You know, I was never an actor who could just, you know, go in and not care. I really, really cared about what I was going in on. And I'll tell you, you know, the thing that made me stop acting or stop auditioning, I should say. I had finished a series called State of Grace, which I don't think you have there, but we we had here, I did two years on it. <clears throat> and I had had my children, uh, all three of them, and um, they were little, little. And I went on an audition. I mean, it was, you know, I was in my forties and the roles were slowing down, um, especially roles for women. And I walked into an audition room for a series playing, you know, a fairly, you know, an okay part of a therapist. And I walked into the room and there were 16 other actresses there for the same role. They were all well-known. They were all fabulous. And I went, oh no, <laughs> I can't do this anymore. <laughs> this is, you know, I mean, this, this is rolling the dice and the odds are so against yeah. me now. I, who, who needs this? You know, I, I like myself too much for this. <laughs> And that was when my husband and I started talking about, you know, the B plan, which was leaving uh, Los Angeles and leaving the business and, and having, you know, more of a creative but normal life. But yeah, the book, um, and it's the real true Hollywood story of Jackie Gold. I, I have been really stupid and not wrote down where everyone in Britain can buy it. Um, but, well, it's on Amazon, it's on bookshop.org, and it's on my website, dynamanoff.org. So it is readily available and in all parts of the country. All country. down in the description, <laughs> the show notes below. I I am um, I haven't had a chance to read a book in a while. Like I've just been so busy. And I was like reading and I was like, you know what? This sounds right up my street. I'm going to have to get myself yeah. a copy. Um, but then I just realized I'm like looking at my notes and I'm like, there's, there's no, there's no, um, no link here where I can tell people to buy it. Um, but make sure if you're listening now and, and you um, love like Hollywood stories and things, make sure to go and click the link in the show notes below and go and pick up a copy because why not? Because you should, right? Because Dinah is legendary and we all owe it yes, to her. It's really it's a really fun read, I promise. <laughs> um, I'm genuine. I'm going to order it as soon as we um, come off. Um, and I'm, I'm genuinely really excited to read it because I haven't had a chance to just sit down with a good book in forever. And I'm like missing it. But then after all this happened, you were a recurring guest on Soap, which was then another massive thing that was named one of Time Magazine's 100 best TV shows of all time. Did you ever, was there a point where you sort of sat back and went, is everything I do just going to turn into a massive phenomenon? You know, phenomena is always in retrospect. Um, not, you know, when we were doing Grease, for instance, I mean, we didn't know it was going to be like a big hit. We really didn't. 
um, I knew John was a phenomenon then, but yeah. I didn't think you know, the film, who knew, you know, I mean, the play was popular, but, you know, and, and even when the reviews came out for Greece in the beginning, they were very warm. They were not uh, uh, rave reviews for Greece. Mm. So Greece became a phenomenon over time. Soap was a cultural phenomenon. I mean, it would dealt with um, homosexuality on TV for the first time. You know, it dealt with uh, infidelities and, you know, all sorts of stuff in a funny way that had never been done on, on television, yeah. much less in a sitcom. Um, so it broke new ground. I was aware of that at the time, but again, it's become its own, it, it's become its own phenomenon, right, in retrospect as, as part of a, a cultural marker, if yeah. you know what I'm saying. Same with Ordinary People, another film I did during mm -hmm. that time, which was a cultural phenomenon. And when I saw the first um, screening of Ordinary People, I went, oh my God, no one's gonna see this. This is so depressing. And it was, you know, best picture. So <laughs> what do I know? <laughs> I also, I, I'm fascinated with, um, I get lost in like YouTube videos quite a lot of the time. And there's a lot of them that are about where people store their awards. Like a lot of people keep their Oscar in the bathroom by the toilet because it's where the it's where people can play and like pretend they're getting their own Oscar. Where do you um keep your Emmy and uh, not Emmy Tony? Where the fuck did Emmy come from? Tony, yeah. <laughs> my Tony is in my husband's office on his shelf. I just I, I think he it's so fascinating when people are like I leave it in the bathroom because then when people can go in, you can always tell by how long they've spent in the bathroom and they're like, <laughs> oh, you've had a play with Oscar. <laughs> Well, if I had an Oscar, I might keep it in the bathroom. But my Tony stays very, um, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's more formal and it's yeah. in my husband. Dignified. It has a dignified place. Yeah. So we are um, celebrating today. It's the one year anniversary of Drama School Dropout. I'm genuinely... Like, I'm finding myself so shocked that it lasted a year because all of my projects normally fizzle out after one or two weeks. And I'm like, okay, so we got 365 days. And one of my favorite things, like I said before, are crazy drama school stories. They absolutely fuel my life. And we play a game on the podcast called Stage Right or Stage Shite. And it's stories sent in by the listeners. And one of them is made up by my producer, Heather, who's one of my best friends. And I, I said to her when we were, when I, sort of asked her to go through and get these ones I said right I want the best ones I said I want the ones that are the best to celebrate the one year anniversary so I've got the answer in a sealed envelope and it's three stories that are sent in by our listeners but one of them is made up by Heather so it's our job to find out which one is the lie oh I love this game okay let's and do it I had <laughs> a quick read of these earlier I love them <laughs> <laughs> number one I had a very strict teacher in drama school and one day I was presenting a monologue and she stopped me and asked me to restart with an RP accent. I told her that I hadn't learned it like that and couldn't do an RP accent. And she went off on one and told me that she only taught versatile actresses and that I should leave and come back once I had learned to be versatile. I protested and tried to just say, okay, I'll just do it. She told me to leave and not come back. She kicked me out of drama school. Oh, that's true. That's for sure true. I, 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 hope I relate is. 
I had a I had a thing with Stella Adler that was very similar to that. Who told me I was not, you know, qualified to be in her class. So <laughs> that happened. That definitely is true. Okay, go on. Number two, my friend and I were doing a fight scene for our end of year showcase, and everything went perfectly during rehearsals. On the night of the performance, I accidentally punched him and broke his jaw. He was such a cute trooper, though, and carried on. I felt so bad. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and say, I think that one could be the lie. because something... I don't know, because I, I had a row once with uh, an actor named Patrick Cassidy when we were doing a play called Leader of the Pack. We had quite a fight out mm. on the balcony. Like, you know, I think, I think that could be true. I think I'm that thinking it could be the lie because I know Heather and something very similar happened to me. I was in rehearsals. Wow. I was playing Macbeth. And one of my good friends who was playing, oh, what's his, Macduff, for, almost forgot that there. We were rehearsing and um, we were choreographing the end fight scene for the first time. And I didn't move out the way in time and he headbutted me and nearly broke my nose. But wait, so I, is Heather allowed to tell a true story as a lie? That's That should be a game rule. She's kind of like changed it. It's very sneaky. Mm, but I, I don't know. I could be totally 100% wrong and she could have put that in there to throw me. Okay, well, let's put that on the let's put that to the side and let's hear number three. Number three, my husband is a theatre critic and came to see me in Romeo and Juliet. He left <laughs> us a terrible review and I sent him a horrible email. And he came back, redacted his review, gave us a better review and asked me out to dinner. Then we fell in love and the rest is history. I think that's the lie. I think that's the lie. I can't believe that. I'm not sure, you know, because I, I just feel like that second one. We don't have to agree, though. We can go different ones. Second, if you choose one and I choose a different and one of us wins, what does the winner get? The the knowledge that they are better than me. <laughs> well, that's, that's petty. <laughs> My love and adoration for the rest of time, even though you already have that. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's better. That's good. Okay. And I will give you my love and adoration if you win. Okay. I think I'm going to go for two. So you're going to go for three because one's definitely true. Yeah. One is definitely true. true. So I'm going to yeah. open the envelope now. Yeah. And I hope that I'm right. <laughs> I get so competitive with this and I'm like, it's not really that much. And you want my love and adoration. Number three. You were correct. Thank you. See, Thank I just you. thought Sorry. that that was too close to home and that Heather might have not clicked because last week she did use a true story from and i had forgotten all about it read it and then we were talking about it and i was like oh this actually happened i was there <laughs> um so yeah we're coming to the end of the podcast now thank you so much for coming on i've genuinely had the best time chatting with you um so everyone that's listening remember to go down in the show notes below and pick up a copy of Dinah's new book, The Real True Hollywood Story of Jackie Gold. I need to get that right. Oh, oh Dinah's probably going to shout at me in a minute. Um, have you got any other projects that you'd like to plug or anything other than coming to the UK and watching me get drunk? Boy, uh, no, but I'm really, really looking forward to that. I consider that a worthy project right now. <laughs> Yes, and um, we will be selling tickets to watch me get drunk. So um, details yeah. coming soon. Um, where can everyone find do you? Use social media. Where can everyone find you on social media? At uh, the real Dynamanoff on Instagram. I'm my website is Dynamanoff 
dynamount.org. And I think Facebook is uh, the real dynamount also. So that's where I am. It'll all be down in the description box anyway, in the show notes. I shouldn't call it the description box. It's not a box. Um, but thank you so much for coming on and celebrating my one year anniversary. This has been so special. And like, like I said, Greece has got happy anniversary. Thank you so much. Greece has got such a special place in my heart and I, I couldn't be happier that you, that you chose to come and spend your, your Tuesday afternoon with me. Thank you. It was really fun. Thank you so much. And definitely we need to keep in touch because I want you to watch me get drunk in Edinburgh. You're on to deal. <laughs> thank you so much. And there we have it, another episode of Drama School Dropout, episode 56, completed. Actually, year one, completed. Thank you so much to Dinah for coming on the podcast, and make sure to follow us both on social media, which you'll find down in the show notes below. And if you're feeling extra generous, please leave a rating and a review on the podcast. It helps us out so much, and it's free, you don't even know. Remember, if you have a story for Stage Right or Stage Shite, please email us at dramaschooldropoutpod at gmail.com. I will be back next week with a brand spanking new episode and I'll be joined by the star of the West End, Chris Jenkins. So make sure to come back next Tuesday. Have a great week. Stay safe. And do you know what? Thank you so much for just making this the best year of my life so far. And I can't wait to see what happens in year two of Drama School Dropout. Drama school dropout. No graduation day for you. Drama school dropout. Fucked your whole course, now try something new. Drama school dropout.